Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D. Svedchuk, and welcome back to a very, very special edition of the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I am really excited for this episode because we convinced Chase that he has to watch Spider-Man No Way Home. Just getting it right out in front. If you didn't read the title, uh, I'm sorry for spoiling the surprise, but Chase has finally now seen Spider-Man No Way Home, and we get to talk about it because I think we're both clearly going to say that this is the greatest movie of all time. It was heart-wrenching. It was uh, motivating. I think it just had... It, 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 is, it clearly has knocked off Citizen Kane as the greatest <laughs> film of all time. And of course, the person on the other line that is going to agree with every single word that comes out of my mouth about this movie, my good friend, my podcast co-host, and clearly the Dr. Octavius to my Peter Parker, Chase Wassener. Chase, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I, I like the Octavius thing. I'm willing to take that one. Uh, uh, I, I hope I don't develop any robotic arms that take over my ability to be a decent person. Um, that's the the one part I would like to uh, to dis, uh, distinguish myself from. Uh, but, you know, I will say this, Walter, of all the things you said, I honestly think the most offensive one is that Citizen Kane was otherwise number one on your movie list. I, I got to tell you, I, I think that one might be a little overrated. I don't know if we're ever going to do Citizen Kane for the podcast, but... Uh, I, I, I think we've got some better choices, um, for the top of our list there. You, um, you know, it was, it was just the first like old film that gets people talking in cinema, like off the top of my head. I, I've never seen Citizen Kane, so I'm not actually going to say it's the greatest movie of all time. Um, but yeah, like I just, I just was picking something off the top of my head. Like, oh, what's a great classic movie. Like, I guess I could have put Casablanca or something instead. I would have gone with you on Casablanca. Uh, I would have come with you on Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and, and you can pick whether it's the black and white one from the 1940s that has effects that are incredibly questionable, uh, but were the best they could do at the time, or the 1992 one from Disney, because uh, that one's pretty perfect as far as films go. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, look, we're talking about Spider-Man. Uh, I... It's it's weird. I, I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a, a role reversal from what I would have been had we done this podcast even just a couple of years ago, because I'm a big comics guy. I love the Marvel comics. I love a lot of, of Marvel characters, and I was very big into uh, everything Marvel was doing, particularly in phases two and three of the cinematic universe. So the fact that I had to be dragged kicking and screaming into No Way Home... It does feel weird. And there was a part of me going into it where I was like, am I wrong? Am I just jaded from the fact that Eternals was so bad and that uh, Black Widow was so unambitious that I'm not able to see what this new phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has to offer? And now that I've seen No Way Home, I can tell you with a good amount of certainty, uh, no, I wasn't. No, I, 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 feel, I feel more reaffirmed in, in where I have landed on the Marvel Cinematic Universe than perhaps uh, ever before. And I'm excited to talk about it because uh, it's definitely a very different uh, place that this film series has gone uh, than where we used to be. Well, I think, I think that is very, very poignant of you to say because there have been... Two misses in this, you know, uh, uh, phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming into this movie. Obviously, we've talked about all three. We've talked about Black Widow, a movie that I think we both thought would have been better served as like an eight-part Disney Plus series and maybe better served just not being done at all. Uh, Shang-Chi that I think we both were really pleasantly surprised with how that turned out and was kind of very definitive in the direction and the storytelling and everything that it was trying to do. Uh, and then Eternals was, um, it happened, maybe. It might still be a fever dream. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. So to come into Spider-Man No Way Home, where they've taken these, these three prior movies that are lesser known characters i mean i other than black widow i don't think very many 
non-deep comic books people would know anything about the Eternals, would know anything about Shang-Chi. And it was kind of nice to be like, oh, we're going to get back to like a staple Marvel superhero, someone that you know as villains for the most part, you know his story for the most part. What crazy wacky shit are they going to do now that they're saying, oh, they're bringing back Dr. Ock and Alfred Molina. They're bringing back Willem Dafoe. They're bringing back uh, uh, Jamie Foxx. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are involved in this. All this crazy stuff. You're like, what are they going to do with this? And I think that this movie sort of perfectly encapsulates some of the problems that uh, the, the Phase 3 and now Phase 4 have had in that it's really kind of all over the place. The writing, the story, everything is just kind of all jumbled up and they're trying to throw as many things at you as possible that are like, hey, if you happen to read Spider-Man, you know, the Spider-Man issue 722 on page six, here's something for you. Uh, is that kind of where you're falling, uh, falling away from the Marvel Universe, Chase? You know, I, I think the, the thing that I am missing and... and Obviously, like going in, I, I went into this uh, hoping that now that we're returning to a character and a story that had been previously established in in, in these uh, phase three, right? Um, the unmasking of Spider-Man uh, and how that would play into the larger universe. There's a lot you can do with that story to help bring back in this sense of a shared universe that wouldn't just be lip service right that would be a really uh powerful way of exploring these different dynamics that come from how these characters uh have been kind of stranded and, and how these uh the fallout of, of all these different events leaves them and i i just what i wanted from this film uh, is the ability for Tom Holland's Peter Parker to establish himself with a clear identity, with a clear thing that distinguishes himself from previous Spider-Men, that has a clear place within the Marvel Universe because he is doing something that only Spider-Man can do. Spider-Man, this iconic superhero, the most popular superhero in the world, arguably. And, man... For a film that had so much built up into it, for a film that had so much time to work with a character so thoroughly established both in the minds of the average person from sheer cultural osmosis and from the previous films that, you know, Tom Holland had had in this cinematic universe. Woo-wee, have we not decided who this Peter Parker is or what he stands for? outside of whatever the plot needs. Uh, this, this film was just such a series of missed opportunities that uh, I'm looking forward to unpacking with you because choices were made. Choices were made to get this story going that were questionable, to say the least. So I definitely think that part of the problem with Tom Holland's uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man is that it's very clear that they are not setting him up as a separate character with his own thoughts and motivations and feelings and yada 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 they're setting him up to be a mirror image of robert downey jr's tony stark in, in everything that they've done even going back you know to to um to the last movie um uh, far from home that they are trying to create the next Iron Man, the next leader of the Avengers, by just trying to make everything about Peter versus Tony. Peter versus Tony. Peter versus Tony. The types of people they are. How they're different. How they're similar. The quirks that Peter has picked up off of Tony. All of these things. Instead of just crafting this story about Peter Parker. And in some ways I could see an argument about how we're going, well, Peter's a teenager, you know, he, he's just exiting high school. He's just going off to college, just entering that sort of late teen young adulthood as we've seen him grow over these past three movies uh, in his series, not the you know universe at large. And that you could be okay with having this very sort of crisis 
of, of who is he, what does he believe in, what is he trying to do, back and forth and back and forth. But it does leave the character feeling very muddled because historically the Spider-Man character has not been about necessarily who he is and determining who he is. It's always really been about how does he fit in to this sort of larger uh, idea, this larger theory about what does it mean to be a superhero and how do you protect the ones that you love around you? And, and there's a reason he's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. For the most part, he's supposed to be centralized in New York City. He is supposed to just be caring about this little you know corner of the world that he lives in. He's not the sort of guy, despite what Far From Home is, that is supposed to venture out into Europe, into space, into wherever. He's supposed to stay home. And that's part of his identity, being this New Yorker. And it does seem that by shifting it more to about is... Peter actually like Peter Stark is he Iron Spider I uh uh you really lose a lot of the sense of the character. Uh do you think that's a pretty fair comparison Chase sort of the the Stark versus Parker, you know, dichotomy? It's certainly what they're going for, but the problem is it can't work because they can't decide how much they want to commit to it. And I'll give you a very easy example, right? How much money does Peter Parker have? I'm told by the movie that he doesn't have a lot of money, that despite being Spider-Man, he's broke, which is wild for a number of different reasons. Number one, we see Aunt May's apartment. It's a very nice apartment in New York City. We see the school he goes to. It's a very nice school. Uh, he has never had to worry for anything that we have seen outside of being told, oh yeah, somehow I'm Spider-Man and not making any money. There's no sponsorship deals for Spider-Man. Spider-Man can't do any sort of product placement anywhere. There's no way that Peter Parker can fix the money issues that we are told that he has. Again, no evidence that that's true. By the way, that whole Iron Man guy who died sure seems like he had a lot of money. Uh, and he sure seems like he left a suit of a lot of really expensive, really valuable tech. But he didn't leave enough money for Spider-Man to be able to afford to go to college? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? I, I can tell you why. It's because Spider-Man in the comics is poor. And because part of Spider-Man's character is that he's an underdog, at least in theory. But this Peter Parker? Not an underdog. Not in any way, shape, or form. He has friends that care about him. He has already proven himself to the most powerful beings in the world and how he helped save the world in the Avengers. And it's baffling that they're still trying to pretend like none of that happened so that they could keep with these kind of just throwaway character moments that don't work. And, and I'll give you another one. The, the plot is so centered around this idea that Peter Parker has been exposed for his identity. He killed Mysterio. That's what the videos say. How, how popular are those videos, Walter? Because the film seems to think that they are very popular because they are, you know, it gets uh, put on uh, Times Square. Everyone seems to be reacting to it. There's a huge moment in which, uh, you know, at the very beginning of the film, he has to escape. Uh, with Mary Jane because everyone's swarming him and they're all throwing all these accusations and the news media for all these big companies are all hanging out outside of his apartment. But then for the rest of the film, we are told that the people who believe this are conspiracy theorists. That the videos are, it's a, it's a weird, smaller mix of people and the uh, reporter who is leading the charge is this pseudo Alex Jonesy guy, which to be fair, also a bad Alex Jones kind of parallel because Alex Jones makes shit up. He doesn't even try with the amount of energy and, uh, you know, a, a desire to have any sort of craft, uh, that we see from, uh, J. Jonah Jameson in this. So that doesn't work either, but the film doesn't, like, like, it wants you to believe that there's controversy because they really want to frame it in terms of things that teenagers would understand, which is being hashtag canceled, right? That's, that's essentially how this film treats a revelation that he is, at least to, to the unsuspected eye, a murderer. 
And the cops arrest him at one point, but then it's okay. The charges aren't there. We don't have to worry about that bit. Except that he can't get into college because we do have to worry about that bit. And none of this matters. None of this ultimately means anything other than to get Peter to the point where he's going to go to Doctor Strange to make the wish that you need to make for the story to happen. And these kinds of inconsistencies, it might feel like I'm nitpicking to certain people. It might be like, oh, Chase, look, you're getting way too caught up in these minor world-building details, and it's not, it's not fair to, to get hung up on that when the reason we're here is for these bigger set pieces that have to happen. But it matters, because we need to care about Peter Parker for this story to work. And because the movie doesn't seem to care about making any of this make sense, making any of this internally consistent. Where are the Avengers when he's getting slandered, by the way? Ca Captain America? I'm sure I understand that he's retired, but he can't do a PSA for a guy that helped save the world with him? We can't get the Hulk involved? We can't... N none of these heroes make any sort of public statement to help get him through his thing? I, it just... It's wild. It's wild what they are asking you to suspend your disbelief on. Not in the sense of it being a fantasy world with superheroes with spider powers, but just basic logic that it just refuses to engage with in any meaningful way. And it's really frustrating. It's a really frustrating film. Uh, and the first act is just tainted by a constant barrage of these kinds of things. I could, I could keep going. I could get into the whole, like... Hey, man, we gotta, uh, I have to do this crazy world-changing spell in order to get my, uh, friends into college, because that's the biggest thing in the world right now. And I never even thought to call the school first. Really, Peter? Really well, now? Well, okay. well, 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 okay, okay, okay. okay. So, I... I, that last point, like, they did try to deal with it, where he, like, raced off to find the admissions woman's, like, SUV on the highway before she got to the airport to, like, try and plead his case, and then Dr. Ock attacked. Like, sure, but I, I get it. I get it. The inconsistencies and, and the quote-unquote nitpicking, because I don't think it's nitpicking. I don't want to call it nitpicking uh, myself, and I don't think you should either, because the problem with that is... Marvel has spent the better part of what the last 13, 14 years, uh, 15 years. I think Iron Man came out in like 07. Yeah. Better part of 15 years putting tiny little Easter eggs all over the fucking place. All of this tiny, minute little detailing to get us to go from Iron Man, a standalone movie that they had no idea was going to be successful into this giant media conglomerate that has different stages of its filming production that puts out four to five movies a year, that puts out four to five television series a year, that it has created a video game, that has created numerous comic book strains that are created purely because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not just because, hey, let's write cool comic books, but they literally are writing comic books around this we have a fucking guardians of the galaxy holiday special coming out i think <laughs> this year like all this ridiculousness so i don't think it's wrong for us to look at like the basic plot and go i don't know man these details don't add up these details don't make sense when you're pulling at the end of eternals a character out of your proverbial ass that i don't know if anybody that isn't like a huge eternals comic fan would know anything about i don't think the normal person knows thanos as an eternal like as a cosmic being like i just don't think anybody knows that stuff so i don't think it's outlandish for us to be like hey can we maybe tie up some of these plot points could we there maybe be something that's like oh yeah tony stark didn't leave him any money because of X, Y, or Z reason. Oh, because he actually isn't in charge of his fund. It's Pepper's in charge of Tony Stark's inheritance or whatever. It all got given to his daughter. Like, just like little things like that that would like make sense. Or maybe Peter was offered a bunch of it, but because he doesn't want to be an Avenger and he wants to go off and do his own thing, he just like refuses to accept it and Happy like forces him to take the suit and is like, let me protect you, big guy. Like, please at least take this. So I don't think it's out of bounds 
to want the attention to detail that Marvel has shown in the past. And like, let's, let's like not kid ourselves. Marvel isn't perfect in the past either. There's plenty of plot inconsistencies across a whole bunch of different movies. I mean, Thor in the dark world is just that script. You could uh, <laughs> take a red pen to that entire thing. But I think it does lead to this very kind of interesting conversation and this discussion because spoiler alert, we get all three Spider-Mans in this movie. We get the Tony Maguire, Toby Maguire Spider-Man, we get Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, and we obviously have Tom Holland Spider-Man. And it is kind of incredible to see the vast differences between those three characters, between the three different versions of Peter Parker, and looking back at what they were able to do in the, the original trilogy and the Amazing Spider-Man, the two movies that they got from there, and the wildly different versions of the character that we end up with i mean chase comparing contrasting i think i think you know we've had enough movies from all of them like which one do you think is the best oh i'm team toby Maguire all the way well and it's okay. because toby Maguire is the one that is the most true to what makes spider-man spider-man in that toby Maguire's spider-man is a loser toby Maguire spider-man is an underdog he is a, a character that uh, gets made fun of uh, for for being dorky as hell. He genuinely deals with financial issues and genuinely seems to have the worst luck in the friends that he picks to be in his life. All of his villains are based around this I, like very tragic idea of how you can be corrupted by certain factors outside of your control that really add a sense of pathos that this movie does a genuinely great job of dealing with. I'm going to, we're going to get to some positive things about this film later. I promise it's not, this is not just uh, a, a bashing session. Um, but I, I do feel like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is at its core, a story that understands that Spider-Man is a a person trying to do their best and 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 that's i i think that's a, a refrain that I, i've heard a lot when people talk about like the difference between marvel and dc right uh dc are heroes learning how to be people and marvel's characters are people learning how to be heroes and Tobey Maguire spider-man is is the quintessential example of a character that is inherently quite flawed and whose flaws constantly bite him in the ass but who always strives to do better, regardless of the things that come his way. And I guess the, the reason I brought up the, the Tom Holland, um, the, the idea of that Spider-Man not even being willing to call the university before going to Doctor Strange, is that this that version of Spider-Man has a selfishness that I find very off-putting. And I, I don't necessarily mean selfishness in the in the same way of like, not wanting to help people because he certainly helps a lot of people. He put his life on the line to save the world and the uh, Avengers stuff. But he is so incapable of seeing the bigger picture beyond himself that he is constantly willing to make genuinely baffling choices, incredibly risky choices on the sole reason that he can't think outside of himself for a moment. It's much less this um like a character that's constantly doing their best and much more a empty-headed teenager who is throwing stuff at the wind and every once in a while manages to be at the right place at the right time and do the right thing when he gets that opportunity um and and andrew garfield spider-man somewhere in the middle for me i i, I think genuinely uh andrew garfield spider-man is at least more consistent from film to film I have problems with his Spider-Man because I think that at the time they were trying to portray him as like, oh yeah, he's this loner and he's kind of away from everything. But he was also incredibly cool and incredibly attractive and had no reason to uh, to kind of have that. Like there, there was a dissonance there, but I saw a lot less dissonance there than I do with the Spider-Man we see in the MCU, um, who I, I think is incredibly inconsistent from scene to scene. and. So I, I guess that's my power ranking. Tobey Maguire, uh, the most traditional Spider-Man and my favorite Spider-Man. 
uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man the most inconsistent in its characterization and therefore the one that I feel the least direct attachment to. So I'm going to agree with you that I think currently Tobey Maguire is, is the best of the three. I think I completely agree with you. The, the sort of sincerity that he has, the sort of genuine uh, character development. Um, Spider-Man to me, in terms of his villains, and I guess we'll, we'll I'll hold on to this point, actually. I'll, I'll stay with Toby. Um, it is. It's very sincere. Every moment of those three movies is very sincere. Even the emo dance, like, on the street dance scene does feel sincere. It is, it is Toby Maguire. It is this nerd of what do you think a cool guy is like? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's gonna wear emo bangs and he's gonna wear all black and he's gonna, like, hey, ladies, how's it going? Like, Johnny Absolutely. Bravo-esque. And I do think that those three movies are very sort of pure. Um, yes, I think picking James Franco as your best friend is an absolutely terrible idea. <laughs> Sorry, Toby. Y- y- you did do that, unfortunately. Um, but I-, I have this with a caveat. I think Tom Holland's will end up being the best long term, as long as they keep him as this character. I totally understand all the inconsistencies, all the incongruities, all the, you know, uh, messiness of where they're trying to put him, where they're trying to trying to go to. But I think by the time you get to the end of this movie, I think it's one of these things where it's they had to they, they built this character up. Remember, we don't really start with the traditional origin Spider-Man story of Uncle Ben dies with great power comes great responsibility. We'll get to that moment in a second. Don't (laughs) you worry. Oh yeah, we will. We don't start there. We start him out as this baby face. The first time we see him is, is, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Coming in, grabbing him be like, Hey, you want to go fight the Avengers with me? And him being like, does this make me an Avenger now? And, and him catching, Captain America's shield and doing the iconic pose. That's what we get. He's at the top of the mountain there. And I think what the ultimate goal here of the three movies is to establish his human characteristics, is to build him up, is to build him up. He's got the girl. He's got the friends. He's got, you know, his his prototype father figure that really matches everything that he's about. Because let's face it, Uncle Ben is not like a science guy he's you know this old blue collar worker that just sort of is struggling to make ends meet for aunt may and for you know their adopted you know son all this so they're like hey let's let's get peter as high as possible right and then they they pull the rug out from under him with the the mask you know pulling the mask off with mysterio and him making this one big mistake and then they go okay he's gonna try and fix that because if you're if you're winning if you're constantly winning and all of a sudden you lose big at the, at the table, at the blackjack table, you don't go like, better cut my losses here. Let me back up. Let me figure out what I'm doing wrong. Like, yeah, you know, no, you, you double down. Most people try to win their money back and that's how you end up leaving Vegas with no pants and a, a floral t-shirt. And by the time you get to the end of this movie, he's, he's made the mistake at the end of uh, Far From Home. He spent all of No Way Home trying to rectify that mistake, trying to fix everything. And as you say, kind of bumbles and bumbles and bumbles and bumbles and bumbles. And then boom, at the end, he is at the low point. He is at that point that we know Peter comes from. He's walking into the Daily Bugle to, you know, get his, he's, he's in the apartment He's in this shitty apartment by himself. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have friends. He is he is by himself. He is at his lowest point, and nobody knows he's Spider-Man. And that's sort of what he wanted. Nobody knows he's Spider-Man. But now he has to work his way back up. He has to get back out there and prove, not just to himself, but to everybody, that Spider-Man is a good guy, that he is there genuinely to help the downtrodden, the down on their luck, you know, all of those things. And while the journey to get to that point is really messy and really convoluted and at times just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I think they've gotten to that point that they've been going to. And now it's time to build the hero back up and now to actually have his his origin growth story and, and become the hero that he's supposed to be. 
So McGuire, as of as of right now, McGuire is, is probably the best and my favorite. But I think long term with Holland, because he's still so young, I really think that from here on out, they could end up having him be a better character as long as they tighten it up a little bit, stop trying to focus on all of the like random crap and just tell that really strong story of Peter just trying to constantly do the right thing in the face of, of what I consider, you know, per, you know, personally, when I look at villains across all comics, across Marvel and DC, probably one of the strongest set of villains outside of Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, it, it sure seems like we're getting, uh, venom in this version of the universe i guess we're gonna have two venoms is how this is gonna work because it's still the sony verse but it's different than the mcu so that that whole post credits thing is kind of fun i guess uh i i i agree with you that where we got the character is a very interesting place i would argue in fact the most interesting place they could have taken the mcu spider-man because he doesn't just wish for people to um not remember that he's spider-man he wishes for them to not remember who peter parker is and that is a fascinating decision and one that better explains literally all of the things that i i complained about right why doesn't spider-man have money well no one knows these peter parker so he wasn't able to get aunt may's insurance money because or, or like you know any sort of inheritance or, or like take her old apartment or whatnot because no one knows who he is and he wouldn't be able to prove how he's connected to Aunt May. Uh, he wouldn't be able to rely on the Avengers for anything because they wouldn't remember who he was. Um, I, there's, there is a setup here that can work and that can be quite good. But this is the second Spider-Man film in a row to me in which it's clear where they wanted to end up and it's clear that they were willing to wipe away so much of the work that would have made that payoff as satisfying as it could have been. They have the beats of what they think the Spider-Man movie should be, but they don't seem to want to put in the work to justify how we get there because they don't feel like they have to. Because this film has all of your favorite Spider-Man characters, all of your favorite Spider-Man villains, and look, they're all talking to each other, and it turns out they have a lot in common, a lot of great bonding moments, acted out by some very talented people, some genuinely moving scenes. This cast is awesome. Um, So many people put in a lot of work. And even Tom Holland, like, I'm complaining about Tom Holland's Spider-Man, but I'm complaining because he's not given things to do that I think are interesting or engaging or make me like the character i I dislike the character i think he's doing a very good job as an actor and i i think that for marvel it's like well that's enough we're gonna have the spectacle we're gonna have those moments that pay off on the nostalgia so people who have been invested in spider-man for the past 20 years will feel like that investment was rewarded and who cares about the rest of it the rest of it doesn't matter Right, and, and that's really what this movie is about. It's it's not about Spider-Man. It's not about Tom Holland. It's not about the MCU at large. It's, it's really, truly about none of those things. It is about what would, like, somehow people wanted to- Tobey Maguire to come back, and they wanted Andrew Garfield to come back, and they wanted to see kind of these older older ideas and the fact that they they've established multiverse this is something now in the mcu and the tv series and all this canon gives them a a a way to pop the crowd essentially let let's not let's not kid ourselves marvel has ever since that moment uh at the end of um at the end of endgame where you know the, all the portals open up and everybody all comes out and we get the, you know, Chris Evans, Captain America, Avengers assemble that, that audience pop in theaters. Marvel has been looking for that high ever since and really attempted to do that here. They really wanted to feed off the nostalgia 
of the, you know, the the 30 somethings, the 30 to upper 20 somethings of remembering watching that first Spider-Man movie. And as much as we give so much credit to uh, to Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man for sort of reestablishing this sort of superhero movie, we have the Dark Knight trilogy to thank. We have the X-Men trilogy um, as sort of, you know, not great at times that trilogy can be. And we have the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy to, that really carried us through kind of the the late 90s and two, early 2000s of where we got our superhero movies from and, and, and fairly good superhero movies as it is. So the ability for us to go, cool, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, I think their, their entrances into that film were about as perfect as possible. Tobey going, you know, just stepping in, hey, hey there, like very, you know, reserved and and and, and kind of on, on the back foot i think the introduction of all of the villains um was just masterfully done all of them being confused not understanding what was going on you have the two scientists in and clark connors and dr octavius being like yo like what what the hell like what's going on here you have uh, a sandman being you know very confused as well and kind of just being like whoa 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 like i just want to serve my sentence like leave me like why am i here leave me alone and then obviously i you know you mentioned the acting a little bit willem dafoe was a fucking monster in this movie i the acting chops that that dude still has and like you know the entire time you're like Willem Dafoe is going to be like the ultimate bad guy in this. He's going to be the one that gets everybody to turn against that, you know, to turn against Peter, even though he's trying to help him. But you feel for him the entire time he's playing the, the just sick, feeble old man. You're just, you're just waiting for the moment that he snaps and it's so well done. And then the snap when he just turns everything around. And now we have the actual confrontation of the movie. I, I mean, brilliant acting performances all around jamie fox being the constant like you think he's going to be the one that actually triggers everything that he's really he's the one that's like gung ho like well you know what i couldn't take over my world but i kind of like this world like all of that is just masterfully done i i think they handled the villain side of things about as perfectly as you could have hoped for and were super respectful to the original versions of them and super respectful to the actors and I am I am just kind of at awe that all of them were able to so easily kind of mesh themselves back into those characters. What did you think of the the acting performances kind of as a whole beyond Holland? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I think that uh, what this film gets right, and I, I would say this is probably the reason that this has a 98% approval rating on the tomato meter, is that all of these villains, and in the other two Spider-Men, they ring true to the characters that you have been invested in. If you care about these characters, if you had any reason at all to want to see them again and to see what they could be in a situation in which they don't have to be the villain that you're actively trying to stop, uh, at least for a bit there, it gives you all of it. I, I thought every like Alfred Molina did a great job. Uh, I, I thought his uh, his Doctor Octopus was a very sympathetic character. Um, it's it's nice to see that kind of you know the pain when he talks about Norman Osborn and the friend that he lost even before he is quote unquote fixed. Like there's a genuine emotion behind it uh, that really powers through. Willem Dafoe. I mean, I agree with you completely. He steals the movie. He's he does. Such an incredible job. He's such a charismatic actor. Every scene that he is in, he is grabbing your attention. And he handles both sides of the Green Goblin persona perfectly. Uh, I, and I will say, as someone who was not a huge fan of the Amazing Spider-Man films, shout out to, to Jamie Foxx uh, and uh, Reese Ifans and, and all the other uh, characters from that universe that ended up coming back here and doing a really good job of in fact in my opinion better than in their own movies of giving us reasons why these characters matter and why we should have empathy for them 
And and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, I mean, he's the one that people talked about the most on social media. And having seen the film, I get it. Uh, that is a guy who desperately, in my opinion, needed an opportunity to really explore some of these character moments that were touched on, but not fully fleshed out in his own films. And the way he talks about uh, the, the Gwen Stacy stuff, the, the way that he empathizes with with peter and the anger and, and everything you know toby mcguire in this film plays things a little close to the chest and uh he apparently said he didn't want to really get into too many details about what happened after spider-man 3 for this film and, and you get that you get the like you know he feels like his character had done the things that it needed to do and we just get to enjoy it a little bit again andrew garfield's spider-man needed to put in that extra work. And those deeper conversations that he brings to the table really land. This film is at its best when these characters are all bouncing off of each other. When you finally get to what the plot is meant to be and you get these conversations where they all realize what they have in common, whether it's the villains or the heroes and, and, and these themes that keep popping up that are so pivotal and critical to Spider-Man as a character in general, that's when this film thrives. And there's a lot to like in those performances. And it is a damn shame that the only way that the screenwriters thought to get us there is to make uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man make some of the worst decisions I have ever seen a character make in my entire life. Like, Naive is not beginning to, cap uh, to capture just how dumb it is to have all of these villain characters just hanging out in an apartment without the most magical, powerful friend that you have in your arsenal because you're so sure that you're going to be able to save all of them as if the fact that their timelines, like, fate apparently just doesn't even begin to matter. Um, it, it, it's so... It's so unfortunate that the foundation on which this film is built is so rotten that I only got to appreciate the greatness of this film in those in-between bits, in those, those downbeats of these character moments after having to ignore that a lot of it really doesn't make sense. Um, but the actors did a great job. Actors were great. Everyone did the thing that the script told them to do as well as they could possibly do it. I have no criticisms to this cast. This is a movie that definitely benefits from the full ensemble being on stage at the same time. The more people that there are on, on, this, on the screen at a time or in a scene at a time... It gives them more outs. It gives them more things to do. It, we're not. We haven't even mentioned, you know, Zendaya or Jacob uh, Badalon at Leeds. We haven't mentioned Happy Hogan. We haven't man mentioned Marissa Tomei. Like we haven't mentioned the core of the Spider-Man universe. But anytime there's any combination of those characters on screen where they all get to interact with each other and bounce off of each other and all of these things, it is it is a masterful. It is a mastery of ensemble scene building and an ensemble scene acting no one's i get it editing you know you can do it but no one steps over one another when you know even though willem dafoe's on screen he's obviously very captivating and constantly drawing the eye to what he is doing there is a respect in the film that then when jamie fox says something as electro who i think that was way more important than Andrew Garfield. I, I apologize for Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I know it wasn't the best shot, but Jamie Foxx was done absolutely dirty in that movie playing Electro. Like, that was awful. It was awful writing. I felt really bad that this was what we were wasting Jamie Foxx on. Even though he makes a perfect Electro totally in sense, it was just, it was so poorly done, so poorly written that I was really way more excited that he kind of got to be the sort of like bloodthirsty, like, oh, just let me out now, boy. Like, I'll come, I'll come beat your ass right now. I'll, I'll, oh, I like it here. Like that, they let him flex his muscles and be the, the faint, the faint threat of the villains kind of turning on Peter and that, you know, ultimately allows 
Defoe as Norman Osborn to, to be the catalyst to switch everything over. Chase, I mentioned Marissa Tomei at the very end of that. And I think it is poignant that this is sort of where we kind of begin to head towards the end of our conversation here. You mentioned Aunt May. Yeah. And you mentioned what Aunt May dies in this movie. Ultimately, she dies. The consequences of uh, Tom Holland's, uh, of Peter Parker's actions lead to the death, directly to the death of his beloved Aunt May. And we finally get the the Uncle Ben death, the orphaning, the the character moment, and the greatest line of of probably any superhero movie with great power comes great responsibility. Chase, what did you think of that? Oh man, I I, I, I'm going to have to be the Debbie Downer on this one. And I, I hate doing it because I like Marissa Tomei. I like the concept of what they were trying to do. But I would say that Aunt May's characterization in this film and the points that she makes to, to kind of push the plot where it goes are arguably the weakest part of this film. Like her idea of like, oh, well, I work at this food bank and we help people so you need to help these villains get better no 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 you don't you have a responsibility to all of the people those villains hurt right like they're not innocent people in desperate need of help who are seeking out a better path sure Nor norman osborne is the rest of them absolutely not it is wild that this is presented as uh, Tom Holland's character failing on some moralistic standard because, as we see in the film, absolutely incorrect. Aunt May dies. That uh, like We see cars get blown up. We see so many deaths in this film. And obviously, of course, because it's a Marvel film, they all happen off screen. It's implied, right? The building getting destroyed implies that people were living in that building and therefore died as a result. Do those lives not matter? Did those people not deserve saving? Like, what a what a weird decision to try to make a moral absolutist point that those lives are worth risking everything for at the expense of all of the people who haven't dedicated their lives to killing so many people in their attempts to take over the world. It's nonsense. And so I'm watching Aunt May, a character that I meant to really like, that I am meant to have empathy for. And, and in the same way that I'm watching Doctor Strange, and he's making all these arguments against helping these people, and the film clearly wants me to agree with Aunt May, clearly wants me to agree with Spider-Man when he goes up against Doctor Strange and be like, no, people do deserve to be helped. That's the good thing to do. No, absolutely not. In this case, you hurt so many more people than you helped. There is no way to justify this if you are looking at the bigger picture. It is so just empty and hollow, and the events of the film prove that hollowness. So when Peter Parker says Aunt May died for nothing, I'm like, yeah, absolutely, 100%. You could have solved all of this just by letting the universe go where it was meant to go, but instead, you got this savior complex that she is very much responsible for, and now she's dead. And if they're going to go back to whatever world, and who knows what's going to happen, you've changed the timeline irreparably, and there are going to be consequences. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of that gets touched on in the multiverse of madness. But it is infuriating that there is never any empathy given for the consequences, the people who die as a result of this attempt to save people. The only person that we're allowed to care about is Aunt May. And Aunt May dies for a very singular purpose, which is to give us the line, you know, it's the say the line, Bart. Gotta say the line. We're, we're missing the line, so we gotta say it. Um, and to, to propel Peter to a point of well, I guess nothing matters and I'm going to 
be I'm going to have to be held back from killing the Green Goblin so we can have one character moment there that really gets resolved rather quickly. It does not take a lot to convince Tom Holland not to murder the Green Goblin. Um, and, and just like, it's so empty. It's so hollow. It, it, it is incapable of wrestling with the genuine moral question. The proverbial trolley problem just never looks at the other track. Doesn't care to. That would mess up what the film wants you to believe. And I got to tell you, man, I'm real tired of that. I'm real tired of the MCU trying to pretend that these civilian casualties are not a thing that we should be worried about. And Eternals did the same thing with that giant rock formation emerging from the planet that would have caused all these tidal waves that would have destroyed so many people. We don't talk about that. The MCU has no interest in talking about that. And so what we get is something that is empty. And Aunt May's death feeling empty and shallow and like it is a self-inflicted wound based on incredibly flawed moral logic that abandons a lot of what you would think Aunt May would stand for because we want a movie that is simplistic in its moral intentions? Nah, man. So get that, get that out of my face. I hated how they handled that. But it's the only way to get to where they wanted to go, right? They have to do it. If you're going to have the big moment, Aunt May has to die, and Aunt May has to propel things forward so that she can die at the hands of these villains because otherwise you wouldn't have a film. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Glad it was worth it it's, for y'all. <laughs> it, it's funny you bring up the collateral damage aspect of it because, Chase, let's be honest, they actually have touched on sort of the collateral damage of the existence of superheroes in this regard. Uh, it's called uh, It's called Civil War. <laughs> That's basically what they talk about in Civil War and trying to lock down the heroes and have them, you know, not operate outside the bounds of the law. And then they just sort of decide at the end of that, like, eh, what are you going to do? It is. It is absolutely absolving responsibility and just sort of just accepting that as reality is like, you know what? As long as superheroes exist, there's going to be collateral damage. There's going to be loss of life. And, um... Okay, I guess it's just something we live with. I do feel like when half the world's population gets gets erased for five years with a snap of a finger, that it's weird that the value of human life has somehow gone even further down. Right. Like, it's even less important. Can, can we get it is a, a, little... a moment, just a moment, of friendly neighborhood Spider-Man mourning the loss of people in his neighborhood? Just for a moment after the, the Osborne stuff? Is that too much to ask? Like, oh my god, sorry, please continue. Well, he's too busy, he's, he's too busy mourning Aunt May. Yeah, well, that's the only person that matters to the neighborhood Spider-Man. Okay, sorry, I'm done. You can continue. I just, mm, 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 mm. I, I, I didn't hate it as much as you did. Uh, I will be honest, I do understand the sort of, like, hey, you could have fixed this if you just listened to Doctor Strange, you know, like, the, 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 the magician guy that sees all, like, all time and is like, hey, maybe this isn't the best idea. Uh, but again, we can just lay fault with Stephen Strange. Is like, maybe you shouldn't be changing reality on the whims of a child mm -hmm. because I'm pretty sure, like, maybe he's not even 18. If he is 18, he's still a fucking child as you treat him as such. Um, just so we can get into college. Weird. Anyways, yeah, they probably won't talk about that at all in 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 Doctor Strange multi you know multiverse of madness that I just watched two days ago. I don't think they'll talk about that at all. That would be weird, but it did. It had to happen. Aunt May dying absolutely had to happen, and it couldn't be as simple as just like it couldn't be as simple as Norman Osborn stabbing her or throwing her out a window or anything like that because that would be Batman-esque and then we wouldn't have had that crazy fight scene where Peter gets the absolute piss beaten out of him by all of these villains. Um, yeah, they have to kill her. They have to get rid of one of his attachments to remind us that loss 
doesn't have hope necessarily that sometimes when you lose someone you have to grieve because they can't do that with the ending of the movie where he wishes Peter Parker's away because the first thing he does is goes to the cafe where he knows MJ and Ned are going to be and immediately talks to MJ and you're like oh are are we gonna get like a stalker-esque Peter like constantly going into that cafe and just talking to MJ all the time hoping that maybe one day she'll remember he exists Mm -hmm. that's a little weird i'm not sure how i feel about that but because there's hope in that he has hope that maybe one day he'll like become friends with her again or become friends with that again or maybe they'll remember any of these things you have to have the loss earlier that is definitive aunt may is not coming back at all tony stark is not coming back at all Peter is on his own after the team-up, after the other Spider-Mans go back to their universe, after he, you know, erases everything. He is now alone. And if you're going to do that, there is literally no one else in the Spider-Man universe that can say that line, with great power comes great responsibility. And honestly, I have to give... The, the Spider-Man writers and director, I have to give John Watts and uh, Chris McKenna and Eric Summers and, and Kevin Feige, I have to give them credit that they waited three fucking movies to say probably the most famous line in, in superhero movies. Like, I have to give them credit for that. That is a, a, level, of, um, a level of self-control that I didn't think a Disney production would have. I'm surprised it wasn't the first line uttered out in the very first movie. So I'll give him credit on that. But yeah, the the death scene was just, it had to happen. And it is weird that he's so like, he doesn't care about anybody else dying. He doesn't try to save anybody else in the building while they're like all fighting. Uh, Maybe at, maybe at some point in the movie, happy was like, Oh yeah, I'm the only person that lives in this building because it's owned by shield or something. I I missed that moment. So I'm going to assume people died. Yeah. That Um, did not happen. I do not remember that at all (laughs) happening. But that being said, chase, Mm -hmm. as we, we come to the end here. Yeah. What are your final thoughts? What is your final score? Why is Spider-Man into the multiverse? way better than this i mean so i'll I'll give my final score first this is a five out of ten and it is a five because of the acting performances there are too many good moments in this film too many moments that pay off your investment in this film for me to give it any less than a five but i am incredibly worried for the future of the mcu because at this point all of the films that i have disliked and i have disliked three of the four most recent films. I haven't seen Doctor Strange yet. haven't seen Thor Love and Thunder yet, which comes out tonight uh, as we are recording this. Um, it feels like they have lost their sense of direction. Without Thanos there to rally everyone around, it feels like we're making movies for the sake of making movies. We have beats that we want to hit, and we don't care about the steps that get us there. Because all that matters now is getting the character to the end point that we want. And yes, I think the end point for this film is a much more interesting place than where this version of Spider-Man has been. It is the most interesting place, arguably, that they could have taken this character. But the path to get there was so hollow and so token and requires you to not just suspend your disbelief on basic world-building things, but to never question what this film considers to be its moral core, what this film considers to be its definition of goodness and righteousness, that it just, it's so, it's so unfortunate more than anything. I, I left this film wanting to like it so much more than I did. And I, I, the reason I have so much anger and frustration towards it is because I don't think it would have been that hard to get a version of this film I would have been in love with. You, you, all you would have needed to do, go back through the first act, make some, some hard and fast decisions on, on why 
you know, how, how popular this story about Peter Parker and the Mysterio thing actually is, how much money this guy actually has, a better reason for him to devolve into a spell. Have him call the school and fail. Who gives a shit? Sorry, I understand. It's not the most important thing. I just, it wouldn't have taken much. It really wouldn't have, but it didn't care. Because the things that this film cared about are that we got all of those character moments of all the different villains and the different Spider-Men bouncing off of each other and that we ended up where we end up. And I guess on those marks, it has succeeded in what it wants to be. It just could have been so much more. And it should have been so much more. And it is a bummer that for whatever reason, for the second film in a row now, Marvel has just revealed a complete lack of ambition in what they want Spider-Man to be. Because they don't need to. He's Spider-Man. This film made $1.9 billion. Why should they give a shit? And if that's how Marvel's approaching this stuff, and it does feel like that's how they're approaching things like Black Widow and Eternals and all of this, I'm just... I, I can't get on this ride. I don't... Like, you, you mentioned Doctor Strange. I don't want to watch WandaVision and Loki so I can understand a film that I'm probably going to have similar frustrations with. I just, I'm tired. I'm tired, Walter. I want to like this so much more than I do. <laughs> Ugh, five out of ten. I... <laughs> you couldn't go six. You couldn't say it was a sinister six out of ten. You had to go five. I, huh? I honestly, I was, I, there was a point in which I wanted to do sinister six out of ten. There was a point where I was going to go fantastic four out of ten. I compromised with five. Congratulations, Spider-Man. <laughs> You, you, the, the moments that you had convinced me to be kinder than I was going to be. Um, and the fact that five out of 10 is my kind score for someone that, again, I was so invested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am still invested in the Marvel Comics Universe. I, I don't like being this guy. I don't like disliking this film as much as I do. Yeah, five out of ten. Sure you do. You love hating movies. Chase, that is your goal in life, is to hate every single movie possible and get on here and yell about them and nitpick them to death like your Stephanie Sterling son. Let's let's just destroy everything that you love and hold dearly. Yeah, it's a sinister six out of ten for me. Um it was okay. I think that the the nostalgia of it definitely like pulls at the heart. Um, like I said, it was, it was awesome seeing Defoe and Alfred Molina again, um, you know, reprising their roles. It was wonderful to see Tobey Maguire and I think his entrance and his character work as much as he wanted to be understated. I think everybody needed it. I think everybody on the planet needed to see Tobey Maguire one more time uh, as Peter Parker. I hope they don't make a Spider-Man 4. Honestly, I hope they don't make an amazing Spider-Man 3 with Andrew Garfield. I think let them both ride off into the sunset with really good performances under their belt and let's not tempt fate with anything else. Um, and yeah, I can understand why you would be tired and why you would be frustrated with, with the MCU as a whole. I can't remember if it was in Suicide Squad or the Batman review, but us talking about how important it was for DC to really sort of step their game up because if they don't, Marvel and Disney don't have to try. They can just kind of rest on their laurels and just keep pumping content out of content out of content, all of this, this stuff out. And right now, everything does feel like Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. It, it really does feel like that. I have stayed very on top of, of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and the TV universe i have watched wandavision i've watched falcon and the winter soldier i've watched loki i've watched what if i watched hawkeye i watched moon knight i'm beginning to watch miss marvel now i've seen doctor strange in the multiverse of madness uh, you know watched a couple days ago i am either this weekend or next weekend going to go see thor and i think part of it just has has to come from i want an escape from the real world right now in general, and I like kind of the consistency that this and the Star Wars stuff has been coming out, that I know every couple of months, I'm going to get a distraction that it might only hold me for three hours as a movie, or it might hold me for six to eight hours over, you know, the better part of two months. Um, but it's nice to kind of have that sort of regimented distraction built into my life, where, you know, everything in the world is, is just, it's not fun. And at the end of the day, despite how 
problematic some of this stuff is and how grating some of the, you know, the just constant churn of content is. It's fun at times. It, it's a good distraction. And that's ultimately what media, what movies and TV are supposed to be. They're supposed to be fun little distractions um, that you can go into, you can kind of enjoy the space and then you come out of. And while Spider-Man wasn't perfect uh, by any stretch of the administ- uh, you know, imagination, it was, le- it was at least fun. It was at least fun even though it, there was some kind of dark um, undertones to it. Uh, but Chase, I, I that's that's been a podcast. I still can't believe that we somehow convinced you uh, to to watch Spider Man. Um, I really I really thought we were kind of done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought the Eternals broke you, um, and I didn't think we were going to come back here. And if you want to yell at Chase and you want to tell him that Citizen Kane is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> Where can the folks at home find you? Uh, yeah, if you want to send me some some Citizen Kane love, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also the fo- follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod, uh, which is where you're going to get all of our episodes that we do, including the Steam Cleaners podcast, which is our gaming pod that we release every Monday that we're not releasing this. Um, and uh, in case anyone here is curious... Uh, I'm going to need some a few months before I even think about watching Doctor Strange, if only because I'm apparently going to have some homework of some television shows if I want to understand what's going on. A thing that, frankly, not a fan of there either. But hey, we gotta gotta get them Disney Plus subscriptions up, man. Gotta gotta rank up those rookie numbers. So I don't know, man. We'll we'll get there when we get there. Final final thought here. Uh, watch everything everywhere all at once again. Just the, the, if you need a distraction for the world, just watch that again. It's so good. It's so good. You don't have to compromise. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> it is a better multiverse movie. I'll completely give it. I'll completely give you that. And you know what? I I don't know if we'll talk about Doctor Strange. It's a better multiverse movie than that as well. Uh, as always, you guys can find me at CADs underscore LOL. Uh, and uh, come back in two weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about another movie. Uh, we decided that, you know, two weeks ago we did Green Knight. So we're trying to think of what we wanted to do next. Obviously, didn't want to do Doctor Strange. And you know what? I'm sort of feeling kind of a medieval flair. I think we're going to talk about some more sword fighting in two weeks. If you figure out the movie, good for you. Uh, But until then, rest in peace, James Caan. Goodbye, Internet.